All right, welcome back, everyone. My name is Liz, host of Coffee and Combos, and this is my podcast where I talk about politics, wellness, and activism with friends, leaders in the community, and just other great conversationalists. And this episode is going to be a very good one. I am joined with um, Karen Tibbles, and she has a book out called Persuade, Don't Preach. Um, Karen, did I pronounce your last name correctly? You got it perfect. It's Tibbles. Tibbles, absolutely. Um, So again, Karen Tibbles is here to discuss communication in addition to um, one of her books, Persuade, Don't Preach. Karen, welcome to Coffee and Combos. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so I like to welcome everyone to Coffee and Combos by asking, are you a coffee or a tea person? What's like your favorite cup? Tea with lemon. Ooh, nice classic. Any type of black tea, green tea, or just, how do you like it? Decaf black tea. I've been off caffeine for a while. Ah, how do you like being off of caffeine? Like, do you feel more refreshed, less tired? Well, I was very sick for a long time and I used caffeine to get over that. But now that I'm doing better, it's great to be off of caffeine where you don't have to, you know, and you know, it's not that I'm totally against caffeine, I'll use it when I absolutely need to, but, um, you know, my body works great. Just great. I'm decaf. <laughs> Love it. I like a nice, just kind of like classic tea, just some, some lemon. I like it. Would you say like, you're just kind of like that straightforward, just kind of like classic refreshing tea with lemon type of flavor of a person? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm plain type of person. Just, you know, like to say it as I see it. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to kind of ask you the same thing about your book. Is your book that way? You say it like you see it. Like, how would you describe your book, Persuade, Don't Preach? Okay. So the book has three parts to it. The first part is the theory to try to, um, and if you've read um, Jonathan Haidt's uh, The Righteous Mind, then the first part of my book will be familiar. But what I do in the second part of the book is I deconstruct the what what's going on in our society by using the theory to explain it so you know we never really pay attention to what's underneath what's going on so this is not plain and straightforward at all this is very complicated but once you can start to see what's going on underneath then you can come to a new understanding of why people are saying what they're saying and then the third part of the book is the persuade part where I give some ideas for how you can use the theories to um, create a way to talk about things in such a way people can hear it. Mm. Because right now now we're talking in such a way that we just put each other's backs up and we don't convince anybody of anything. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Um, and, And I was really excited about this conversation because so locally we are going into election year as far as like our state elections and as a person that, you know, ran uh, previously for office and as a, a voter, the conversation is how do you get people to hear what you're passionate about and what you're saying? And how do you listen to that other person, take what they're saying and be able to come have a middle ground where you're both not walking away feeling like, well, we didn't accomplish anything. And so um, 
I like how you discuss how you have three parts. You just don't give us the persuade, but you help give some understanding. Yeah, about 10% of the people can talk to people of the other side naturally without work. The rest of us have to learn, and I had to learn um, <laughs> because I, I didn't see it. But now that I've started to be able to see it and been practicing on how to do it, it's I've had much more success in talking to people. I guess what's really interesting to me when I was here when I heard what you were saying is that when we talk about politics, we we think we're talking about the issues. Mm. Okay. But we're never really just talking about the issues because actually what happens when you do survey research, and I used to do survey research for a living, so this is this is my this is my baby area. Um, when you do research, if you rephrase the question, it changes what people think. Well, that does that means that they don't they aren't really that tied to the issue. Mm -hmm. What they are tied to are the values and the underpinnings, what's underneath that. Mm -hmm. So if you can start working with what's underneath it, you can be much more persuasive and much more, you know, make a bridge. So if it isn't really meeting in the middle, it's coming to a common ground on what the values are that are important. And then finding a way to express those values. So it's a different way to approach this. And I'm really excited because um, one lobbying organization that I'm familiar with um, is starting to use this in their lobbying, is the techniques they really? have. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's a Quaker organization, Friends Committee on National Legislation. Wow. And, and I love how you talked about values because really that's what it is. And when people feel kind of like their hackles kind of up and they get defensive, it's because you feel like your values are being or at, or at jeopardy. And if we can find a way to communicate where our values are not um, like we feel like we're not losing our values, we can be heard. So I love that. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing that we don't realize is that, we all have the same values, mm -hmm. okay? That's like a universal human condition. We all have the same values. That's what moral foundation theory says. But what happens is that there's two, there's two issues, one of which is that we, we place different importance on the values, mm. okay? And the second thing is that even the ones that we don't place as much importance on, we still have them but they look different. We, they, they manifest differently. We describe them differently. Let me give you an example. Please. So uh, conservatives tend to be much higher when you do a survey. They tend to be much higher on what's called sacredness and purity. Mm -hmm. And you know, they're more likely to go to church. They're more likely to, you know, you name it. They're, they're more likely to do stuff. But... Liberals do have their own form of sacredness. It's just different. And um, mm. as a friend of mine says, when he's, he was talking about some people he knows, you know, when they talk about clean eating or eat, only eating organic food, that's another form of sacredness. It's just a different way to look at it. It's a different manifestation of it. But if we can recognize that those are the same underlying values, the same underlying way to approach uh, what's important and say, oh, you're, you think this is sacred. I think this other thing is sacred. 
how can we look at things so both are sacred so that we honor both of them wow. and yeah. that makes us more likely to come together on what's what's important because when we when we honor what the uh, what's important to the other person that just helps us come closer together i love the example that you used um because it's it's so relatable, right? Like when we're having these conversations, it, it really is. It's it's you know, what is important to one person, you know, is important to another, but it just looks different. Yes. And if we can have that understanding and talk about the value, it it takes away the polarizing of the issue. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because who can be po- who can be mad that somebody finds something else sacred? I- you know, that's what's important to them. Instead, if you can come together and talk about the values, you know, and those values, what, what I say when I give talks to groups, I say, those values are invisible to us. We, you know, we'll fight wars over them, but we never talk about them. And that's so ridiculous. We need to talk mm. about the values. We need to make them clear to us. And, um, you know, we need to make them visible and not invisible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, if we all showed up to the table saying, we're going to talk about our values, I feel like that's a very different, you go into what a different mind frame versus if you say, we're going to go and talk about abortion rights. Then everyone like, right, like, you know, they kind of like the red flags go up and people get kind of like, because we bring our stuff to it. But if we say, we're going to talk about everyone and their in, in their values as it relates to individuals making choices or, or however you would phrase that, um, it sets up a different tone. It allows for there to be no judgment because we're just going to talk about what's important to us without judgment. That's right. That's right. And then you can get into, well, okay, here's a manifestation of how this is important to me because I, you know, I right. church, I, you know, or whatever it is, that's how I, that's what's sacred to me. Um, mm-hmm. And, and then we can respect each other's values. Absolutely. How, how did you get into all this work? How did this become, you know, like you're going to champion this? Well, so I was a corporate executive in marketing uh, for many years. And, um, and I, okay, this is weird. I had a religious calling and I went back to school to seminary. And while I was there, I was writing a thesis and I found this theory, which is um, Moral Foundations Theory by Jonathan Haidt. Um, as part of my work on my thesis. And, you know, I was in marketing before this, and I thought I understood what made people tick and why people did what they did. But there were some areas that were kind of mysterious to me. And this theory just changed the way I looked at, at, at my understanding of what made people tick. And it just helped me understand so much more about what was going on. Um, and when I started telling people the way I understood it, and how it helped me explain this. And they'd go, oh, I never thought about it that way. And they may have read the book, but they just didn't think about it that way. And so I finally said, well, if if I can explain this to people in such a way that makes it helpful, then maybe I should write a book that explains it. <laughs> so so that's, that's what led, well, actually, I first started a book on marketing. And my friends were very interested in what I had to say. So they read my book, even though they weren't in marketing. And it's like, then I said, well, how can I apply this to my own life? And I'm like, okay, well, I'll another book. 
And it's so funny because I, before this, I hated politics. And part of the reason I hated politics was I never understood what was going on. And, mm. and now I can pretty much tell you how somebody's going to feel about something how they're, based on how they talk about it. Um, I can pretty much understand what's going, what's going to go on. Absolutely. It's like that age old adage of it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I feel like politics has taken this turn as, you know, being catchy or flashy. Like there's a lot of like words being thrown out to get a emotional reaction from people versus let's get to the issues and the values as you talk about so that we can have everyone's needs met, but it has become more of um, how do we get a rise out of people so that we can get, you know, whether more, you know, in the age of social media, more likes or, you know, more clicks or their name out there, it becomes more flashy than, than substantial. Yeah. A lot of what's going on right now is tribal politics and it's, signaling mm. signaling that you are on this particular team. Yes. And and signaling that you hate this other group because they're on the other team. Um and and that that qualifies you to belong to the team. And um I'm I'm struggling with and and so so when I talk to people about the work that I'm doing um one of the the problems that people have with it is that they see uh, when you can, if you're trying to switch to use words that the other side will appreciate, they see that as betraying their side. And that's a real barrier. Mm. Uh, that's a real barrier to people picking up and doing this work. Um, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping that people are sick enough of the tribal warfare that they're willing to try to do stuff. And I do, you know, I do have people getting, you know, um, picking it up and, and trying to do it. Like I said, the lobbying organization, um, I had an endorsement from a spiritual leader, Richard Rohr, who loved it. Um, I've been adopted by a, a small uh, Christian university as a book for their entire freshman class. Um, so I, I am getting some people who are interested in doing this, um, but then there's still some pushback by people who see it as betraying their side. Mm, I, I love how you illustrate that about, you know, the betraying of sides, because I, I do think, it, again, it's like it's this all or nothing type of thinking, like you're either all on the side or you're not on the team and you have to kind of like defend your right to be on the team. But I also want to circle back to what you're talking about, the lobbying organization and them using the tools to communicate. And, you know, for listeners or people that are trying to lobby for something they're passionate about, what tips can you give them that they can, you know, communicate um, and communicate effectively? Well, the, the basic steps are to first identify what the values are that are important to you. And then what the values are that are important to the people that you're talking to and see how they're different. And then take the issue you're concerned about. And I've got all these examples in my book. Um, take the issue that you're concerned about and say, how could that fit with one of the values that's important to the other people? Let me give you an example. And this is based on psychological research. This is not just me like 
This is not just an idea. This is based on psychological research and it's actually been proven to work. Okay, there's been numerous studies that have been proven that this works. So take uh, an environmental issue. Um, normally when uh, people on the left talk about an environmental issue, they use uh, the two moral values of care for others and uh, fairness, okay? Generally, that's what the arguments are, mm -hmm. okay? <clears throat> on the other hand, um, those two values are really low in importance to conservatives, okay? They're mm -hmm. higher on the other three values, which are belonging, um, sacredness, and um, respect for authority. Mm -hmm. Now, um, what, what's interesting is that um, uh, two academics, uh, Rob Willer and Matt Feinberg, have done studies on a number of different issues, including environmental issues. And they wrote um, two different essays, one using care and fairness, for, which would be good for liberals, and one using sacredness. And they showed you know, different essays to different people and found that they could convince conservatives on, on environmental issues by showing the sacredness essay. Mm. Not, but showing the care and fairness essay didn't, didn't work at all, as you might expect. Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting is there was nothing in the environmental essay about climate change, nothing, zero. But, really? but they asked a question about climate change afterwards, and they saw greater support for changes to, based, to help with climate change, even though they didn't mention it. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It, it is because, and I also think it's the power of language, right? Like when you kind of um, take out language that might be triggering, or especially when you are wanting to have um, real change. And, and I think that, at least for me, I want to have real change because it gets exhausting to continue to have the same conversation and really what you're doing is having the same argument because no one's really hearing both sides. And it's really a great conversation of how to move past arguing to action. Um, and, and I just find that so fascinating that, you know, they did not change their values. They, climate change was still the important issue, but they just found a way to communicate to the other side that they were able to hear. And I think that's what's really important and what's really valuable. Because I think when people hear the term politics or running for office, there's this conversation of what value am I going to have uh, going to have to um, change? But really, it's how are you going to communicate that value? So I, I so appreciate that illustration. Yeah. And then there's an interesting thing. I read about the research years ago. And then I thought, well, let me dig in to see what's been happening with how we talk about climate change. Now support. Right. So I dug back in some Pew research, um, and also I did I did an internet excavation of all the different ads and stuff that are running. And what I found was that um, Republicans or conservatives, I forget which it is, tended to be lower in support for environmental issues until the mid two thousands. Okay, and then their support took a nosedive in the mid 2000s. So they were they yeah. were a little yeah. bit below liberals but not a tremendous amount. But it just took a nosedive in the mid 2000s. And when you look, 
and you go back up until the mid 2000s, the language included sacredness language. Wow. And, and okay. that was dropped when, when the emphasis shift, shift to, to climate change, which is exactly what the, what Willer and Feinberg's research said would work, was working, and that it was dropped. So here's two pieces of evidence wow. to say, if we mm-hmm. change and use a different value, use a value that's important to the other side, they will support it. There's like so much there to dissect, but listeners, we won't break it all down. I'll just tell you to go and get Miss Karen's book, which can you please tell us how do we find your book? Well, it's available on Amazon and other sources online. A uh, few bookstores have it, but mostly you should get it online. It's Persuade, Don't Preach. And you need to sign up for my newsletter. Um, so go to my website, persuadedontpreach.com, and there you'll find links to the book on various different places you can buy it. But you'll also get a pop-up window, and if you sign up in the pop-up window, you'll get my newsletter, um, which I'm starting up again this Saturday, and it's going to be um, different takes on other ways you can talk to people to help them hear what you're saying and and really start good conversations and not yelling at each other and ways to, to really have good conversations and stop this tribal nonsense. Thank you so much because in, in this time of like COVID fatigue and, and exhaustion where people are just maybe a little bit more irritable or a little bit more sharper with their replies, I think it, it's a, a great reminder of saying, let's remember that we, we are all in this together. We all have values. It's just about how we communicate about those so that everyone is feeling heard. And so I so appreciate that. Karen, any last words or things you want to leave the listeners with before I ask you my last question? Um, I just hope we'll put down our swords. Mm, Agreed. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, Thank you again for coming on to Coffee and Combos. Um, my, my last question that I like to leave people is with what's in your cup. And this is where I ask my listeners and my guests, what are three things that you need to add to your day or your week to bring it a little bit more brightness, a little bit more shine. And while you think of your three things, I'll give you mine. So the three things that I need to add to my emotional cup today would be, um, tea, Specifically matcha, I, I, you know, had went a long time without a matcha whisk. I bought it. I bought my tea. And so I'm going to take the time and make me a cup. But I want a good cup. So I'm going to take my time. So I'm going to add matcha to my cup. Um, I'm going to add reading. I really would like to get in a good couple chapters of this new book that I bought. Um, I recently had taken some time off and was on vacation and I was able to finish a book in three days, which I haven't done in years. So I want to be able to kind of pick up that same flow with 2022. Um, So reading. And the last thing, I'm going to keep with my practical cup and go with cleaning. If I can clean, I think that will be a good slate to the start of a new week and I'll feel refreshed. So I'm adding matcha, um, cleaning and reading to my cup. Uh, Karen, what about you? What do you need to kind of brighten up your day or your week? Well, since I'm recovering from COVID, I dropped my exercise and I even dropped my yoga because I I really, I was just too Mm. tired after. So I'm going to add both of those back Mm -hmm. into my life. Um, And 
then I'm going to add um, time with people because I so miss being with people. Um, again, because I've been in isolation since it's been a couple of weeks. So um, this is great having talk with you and I need to do more of it. So. Absolutely. And glad you're feeling better. And I think it's a good reminder, you know, we've had some periods of isolation over the past couple of years and reacclimating ourselves to getting, you know, communicating with others. And again, your book is a great way to start your new year off and, and learn how to do that. So folks, um, please check, check out Karen and um, to the link to her book, check out the episode bios, take care and be well. <laughs>